My name's George Jackson. I, uh, I am the chair of the Health Sciences Department here at Weimar. I'm also the Associate Academic Dean. I'm fairly new to Weimar, and I'm going to share, as this first in the series, I want to share my story and some of the experiences I've had uh, as, a, as a student, as a scientist, uh, prior to my coming to Weimar. And uh, there's amazing things God has done in my life. Uh, so I want to, it's essentially a testimony this morning with some of the, and it will lead into what we talk about as we go on for the next two messages. So let's just start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, it's good to be here. It's a blessing to have so many committed young people here wanting to serve you. It's a privilege to be able to uh, work for you, to speak for you, but uh, I'm always mindful that uh, we are yet only a vessel and uh, a very unworthy vessel at that. So we just pray that your spirit and your angels will be here, particularly as we look at words of truth, not anything in my life or anything that I've done, but may it all give glory and honor to you as we see the evidence of your leading and the miracles that you performed in my life and my journey be with each person here, young and old, as they continue on their journey through life and face all the assaults that the devil throws at them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. It was, as I mentioned, I'm a scientist, I'll fill you in with some of those details, but if there was anything that stood out as an iconic moment in my life, it was probably a year and a half ago before I actually ever thought of coming to Weimar. Uh, I did all my training, my education in Australia, uh, although I'm from California about 40 miles away, so you never know where God will take you in your life's journey, I can assure you of that. But at this point, I was standing in Washington, D.C., an employee of the University of Tasmania, way over on the other side of the world, standing in the Cosmos Club, a kind of a snobby sort of uh, boys club in Washington, D.C. Uh, that's where they were holding this meeting. And I was speaking to, uh, there was a congressman there, there were science leaders there based in Washington, D.C., and I was speaking on the behalf of, as senior scientist, of one of 14 projects of the census of marine life. Uh, and if ever there was a time, you may have thought, wow, I've really arrived, you know? That was then. And I, you just, I, I, I can't help but thinking, you know, boy, if they could see me now, you know? Here I am in Washington, D.C., talking to all these hobnobs, working as a senior scientist, and yet I have a home and a job halfway around the world. How did it happen, you know, isn't God amazing how he leads in our life? Now, that's where I was. Uh, the Census of Marine Life actually finishes October of this year. It's a decade-long program of discovery, rated, uh, actually suggested as one of the six great experiments in the world. So it was, if anybody had lived out their dreams as a marine biologist, it was me. There I was, Washington, D.C. We'll come back to that and, and, and discuss how I got there. But before I go there, let me tell you about a young boy with a nervous problem who couldn't read, was actually pulled out of school because he couldn't learn, wet the bed till an old age, uh, you know, growing up as quite, quite, quite a lot older as, his, you know, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something. And this little boy was actually in a retarded reading class because he couldn't read. He couldn't read. 
he had learning problems, and he was in such a bad public school that his parents finally took him out of that school. And uh, it was probably a year or so, maybe 10, nine or 10 months before he could actually get enrolled in another school. And that little guy got enrolled in El Dorado Junior Academy in Placerville, just 40 miles away or so. And that little boy was me. That was me. That's how I started out. So you might have said if you looked at me in those days, you know, boy, you know, what's going to happen to him? Probably it was all related to the fact that I started very young and I was probably just too young in school. And, uh, but it wasn't until I got to a Christian environment with some lovely older ladies that I was able to calm down and they taught me to read and I began to learn. Uh, then I went to, to, through the Adventist system here. I went to Auburn Academy up in Washington for three years. I just missed my 30th uh, reunion thing. And then I went to Australia because I was always kind of an adventurer through the marine biology thing. And I actually went to our college there in Australia, Avondale College. And uh, that was 30 years ago, 30 years ago. And I spent two years at Avondale College. That's where I met my wife. And I married an Australian girl. And I thought I was never coming back because I had left my country. I adopted my new home, which was a wonderful place, Australia. And I still feel homesick from my adopted home. But, you know, the adventure sort of started there. I left the Christian education because I wanted to pursue my passion as a marine biologist. And I went to James Cook University in North Queensland, which is like the world's premier place to do marine biology. The Great Barrier Reef just off the coast, uh, just a premier place. A regional university, a small place. It was the hot tropics, kind of a challenging place to live. Actually, I just got back from Atlanta. If you've been to Atlanta in the summertime, that's what like Townsville is, where James Cook University is. But you know, before that time, I, there's iconic times again where God has intervened in my life, and I know it. I can think of one time I was driving with my wife-to-be from uh, New South Wales. She lived in Queensland, South Queensland, which is a wonderful, beautiful beaches. And we had been driving like 13 hours, and we were going on the freeway, approaching her home. By then it was dark. There was lots of traffic coming down back to Brisbane. And I needed to pull off the road because I just needed to kind of chill out. It was like it had been a long day. All these lights were in my eye, and I was feeling a little irritated, and, and I just needed to, I needed to break. What I had forgotten is that our car had an electric, oh, this old bomby car I drove, had an electrical problem, and it wasn't starting, when I, and I had forgotten that. We pulled off the dark, off the side of the road, and the car stops. Okay, I, I re-get my wits about me, and, we need, and then I realize the car is not starting. Now, it was a fairly easy car to push start. It was fairly easy to do that. But uh, my wife didn't drive the cl a clutch car a manual car, so she had to get out and try pushing this thing. I had the door open, we just needed to get it rolling a little bit and get the car started. You know, all these fond memories of your young days when you have next to nothing and, and uh, away you go. And it just wasn't working. At that very moment, it was dark. We didn't even know where we were. We were off a side road. Trying to remember the chain of events, and I should have asked my wife again. Uh, from what I remember, a motorcycle pulls up out of the dark. The guy takes his helmet off. He didn't say anything. My wife always remembered the strikingly blonde hair that he had. He comes to the back of the car and keeps pushing. Within seconds, another car pulls out, and another couple guys pull out, join the guy in the back, and they all start pushing my car. I get it going, and it takes off. In fact, one of them fell on his face because it sort of took off so fast. We had to keep the car running. My wife jumps in, and we thank the guys and drive off. And we've always thought back later, you know, that didn't make a lot of sense, that whole situation. We're in a very dark corner. 
uh, off the freeway, and, uh, just an off-ramp. Where did these guys come from? They didn't say anything. They jumped in, they started pushing our car, and they got us going. And, and there were the things that just didn't fit in that story later on. And to this day, we always felt, for some reason, God sent angels to rescue us. We, we didn't know we were in danger. I mean, we, you know, I don't know. But that story didn't add up. And my wife always remembers. He took off the helmet and this bright blonde hair. Uh, angels have blonde hair. I mean, I, that's what she can tell Evidently, that's the case. And, I, and my mind goes back to this quote in the spirit of prophecy in Review and Herald, October 12, 1905, where she says that famous quote, we have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. Let me back up a little bit, and I'll deal with this again in morning manna. I went to one of our Adventist denominational schools. I was young. I was still a teenager in a different country. There were two professors there. Call them professors, I guess, lectures. In Australia, they're called lectures. They had some issues with their theology. They really did. Uh, particularly, I, I would say maybe leanings towards evolution. I don't think they outright endorsed evolution. But absolutely, most certainly, they made a mockery of a young earth. They, they, just, they, they just didn't believe it. And they were openly teaching millions of years in their lectures, openly. I can still remember theology guys sort of shaking their heads at each other in one of his classes. But they were calling them geologic years. And I can remember in those young days as a teenager, I was looking up to these guys. And, and I believed them. I mean, I just believed them because that's what they were teaching. I was young. I was probably 18 at the time. I wasn't really thinking for myself. Uh, I can remember um, they were having a go at Usher's chronology and saying, well, there's gaps and so forth, you know, and which is true. But, and they were just tossing it all out. And they were certainly tens of thousands of years when they were talking about local landforms and certainly millions of years. And they were teaching it openly in an ad 30 years ago in an Adventist institution. 30 years ago in a different country, not here. And that was all kind of soaking in. And I wasn't filtering it for myself. And I was just believing it because they were greatly respected, right? You know, I was at the very beginning of my studies, and these guys were teaching this stuff. I can remember them actually mocking. They were invited as, as Adventist scientists. They were involved in biology and geomorphology, geology, and so forth. They were invited to a conference, kind of a conference field trip in New Zealand, where they were at. They were going to be, it was like an evidence for creation a sort of field trip. And they were, they were bringing Christian Adventist scientists. And these guys were kind of laughing and mocking about it, saying, well, that's not the way you do science, you know. And, and I guess they were going up to stir things up at this conference. And, you know, I was only at that institution for two years. They actually tried to recruit me later on in my career twice to that institution. I just wasn't interested. I didn't think I would fit in. I fit in really well in Weimar, I can tell you that. My heart is here. But I look back at all that in thinking, what if I had stayed there? I mean, I was beginning to get molded by this basically toying with idolatry that these guys were doing. They were there for many years. And you know, I would get dribs and drabs of information out of this institution, what was going on, and it wasn't good. The important thing, which I hadn't done at that time, and I learned later, was you've got to have your mind made up and the decision made before you're facing situations like this, whether it's in a Christian institution or whether it's in 
uh, secular university. And we'll go on to the secular university a little later. But let's go to Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. I love the story of Daniel. I can really relate to the story of Daniel because my career was in the University of Babylon. That's where I did my research. The University of the International University of the Chaldees or whatever, that's where I've come from. After I left my two years, my heart was in marine biology. By then I was married, so I was a married student, and so that was a little e easy because I just went and did my classes, and then I went to my public university uh, and did my training. But this is what it says, Daniel 1.8. I love Daniel 1.8, and it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart, and it goes on to say, that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The point in that is that Daniel purposed in his heart. That means his mind was made up before he ever was in the situation. You've got to make your, some of you may be attending Christian or public or secular universities or about to. Before you step foot on that campus, and I might say uh, in an Adventist university, it's probably almost scarier because your guard is down. I mean, in a public university, it's me and them, and I know that I'm different than them. When you're around Christians and they start infusing idolatry and false theories into what you're doing, your guard is down. So you've got to be extra special, extra vigilant. We all know the stories of what's going on. You've got to have your mind made up before. If you're in there and uh, you think, okay, what am I going to do? That's not a good position to be in. I, let, me sh let me share my stories uh, as I went in to the public university. There I was uh, in James Cook University, wonderful school by worldly standards, uh, you know, field trips out to sea. I mean, neat stuff. First time in my life I'd ever been in a non-Adventist environment. I'd grown up in an Adventist school, other than when I was very young, in an Adventist system, Adventist high school. I'd been in an Adventist college for a couple years. Everything was kind of, I didn't really have to think about things. Suddenly I'm in a secular situation. I'm in a geology class of all things. Boy, they, there's a lot. Boy geology, boy, that's a tough one for a Christian. I can tell you the stuff they have in there. And there's a field trip on Sabbath. Well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, right? I didn't do things on Sabbath. So I didn't go to the field trip. I just didn't go. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't know what to do. I just didn't go. And uh, as a result, I think I got a C in the class because like, I missed a major chunk of the write-up of what we did in the field trip. And, I just, and it wasn't a major core one of my classes, so I didn't really think about it. I never thought to go to the lecture and say, hey, I can't make it. There's, these are the reasons why. Can I do something else? I just, it didn't occur to me to do that. I had never experienced this before. And as a result, uh, I got a bad grade, but that was okay because I was, you know, I, I was standing up for what I believed. However, my dream was always to be a marine biologist. My passion, it had taken me halfway around the world. Here I am on the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, you know, diving on the Great Barrier Reef by 18, growing up here in the mountains of California was just like, wow, you know. Come to my second year in my marine biology course, uh, things start popping up on Sabbath again. Botany had a, had a, I can remember him, Botany had a field trip to the rainforest on a Sabbath. Biology of marine plants had a trip to Magnetic Island looking at algae on the Sabbath. Second year zoology had a week-long field trip to Magnetic Island. 
starting Friday night. What am I going to do? This is my dream. This is my heart. This is everything I had lived for up to that time. Well, I mean, it was a big part of my life. I was a scientist. I, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, and I'm ashamed to say that's I started compromising. Because uh, what was my title? Science and faith or faith and science. And I guess I was at the science and faith part of my growth. There was science and then there was faith. And while I started out well with geology, which I didn't really care about anyway, now we were getting to core subjects that were my major, you know? And I went. But, you know, it's natural science. It's kind of biology, and we can study God's creation. You know, you can think, you can rationalize it, right? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to factories or something. I was studying God's creation. And that's how I rationalized it in my mind. Well, we're going there. We're going to the rainforest. and all. Of course, I was making notes about the assignment and throwing out the, the transects and counting the, the distribution of algae and taking data and all the sorts of things that go with that. And then in a bunch of uni students on Magnetic Island drinking on Friday night. And, and there I was, right in the middle of all that. Not feeling terribly comfortable about it, but what can you do? You know, I rationalize that's what I had to do. Because it, for me, it was the Sabbath. For me, it was the Sabbath. Let's look. And, and it's intricately involved in creation. Let's go to Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. So there I was rationalizing. What did God say back in Genesis 2? Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, reading from verse 1, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all the work which God created and made. There we have God. He creates the world. He creates the Sabbath to be a blessing. He sets it aside as holy time as a commemoration of him as the creator and the creation of the earth. And I was out with my, these kids drinking on a Friday night on a field trip. Exodus 20, uh, 8 to 11. I mean, again, just look at, um, it, we all know this. Let's read it again, though. Exodus 20, 8 to 11. It's the uh, fourth commandment. But notice the creation and the creatorship in the, in the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh-huh, right? That's what we're supposed to do. I wasn't doing it. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It's holy time. You know, I always say to my kids and my family, you know, even though there's wonderful Christian people that go to Sunday-keeping churches, and in many cases they, they show us up, you know, they're just missing out on a blessing. They just, they don't have it. They don't know about the Sabbath. That blessing isn't there. In my life, the Sabbath has become very important in our life because of the experience I went through. And then, of course, I love Isaiah 58. Let's just look at that. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. And some of these will pop up from time to time in my other, as we tie into the other talks. And, you know, looking at 13, but 11 and 12 talks about those people of the last generation building up those waste places and restoring the breach. Then he goes on to say, if thou turn thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasures on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, 
the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And what will he do? I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. These are just a few of the wonderful blessings and promises that the Lord encapsulates in the Sabbath because he is our creator. And the only way that Sabbath makes any sense is a six-day creation, you know, uh, and then ending on the Sabbath. Later on, we're going to talk to about Revelation 6 and 7. That'll be one of our other talks and how in the end time the creator is an important in part of that. So these are, these are things I knew and I should have known better, but I was ill-prepared and uh, there were other things that were higher priorities in my life. I'm ashamed to admit it. That's the case. It came to the beginning of my third year. And I can't remember what had happened during the case uh, in my life. Maybe, maybe by then I'd been getting more and more involved in our church life. And people had taken me under their wing. That's probably what had happened. Because when I got married, my wife and I moved away to a new place. No family, no support. We knew nobody. We were young. And we were just a nuclear family on our own. And we kind of wavered because we were out in the world for the first time, and there we were. And so we wavered a little bit. And that's probably why I went down this track, because I was kind of wandering in the wilderness with no support. But I guess over time, the local church, uh, we gained their support. And that's probably what started making a difference in my life. I came to the beginning of the third year. Now, in Australia, you do a three-year bachelor's degree. Uh, it's, done, it's done in three years. You can do a four-year honors degree, and then you go straight into a PhD, and that's what I want to do. Bang, bang, bang. I needed, I, for biology in the field, of, if you want to be a researcher, you've got to do a PhD. That's just what you've got to do. Uh, otherwise, there aren't many opportunities. And that's what I was going to do. My dream, you know. But it got to the point, I thought, you know, I can't keep doing this. I must have got convicted. Maybe it was a revelation seminar. I can't remember what I was doing. I thought, I've got to make a decision. I can't keep doing this. I can't, keep, I can't just keep my foot in the world and doing things on Sabbath because it's part of the course and keep, I just can't, and then keep going to church and trying to do the church thing as well. I made a decision that if it means I can't do my course, it's okay. I'm not going to do it. That wasn't an easy decision. That was not an easy decision because I had not only spent years preparing and doing that, I was facing giving up and not knowing what to do with my life. But I made a commitment to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. If it means I can't go on, so be it. What's going to happen? How am I going to cope? How am I going to do? Third year class. And the third year classes are like really exciting. They have trips out onto the ocean. I mean, they're just their core stuff. Uh, we had the, the university had its own vessel. Uh, I mean, it was exciting stuff. It was amazing. Uh, and I can remember there was one particular lecture. He was actually an American, and he was a single guy, kind of an unusual personality, very unapproachable guy. Did a very professional job at lecturing, very, very professional up the front. But you know those people, but you can't speak to him personally. In fact, he was scary. He was scary to talk to. Uh, you just, he didn't have a relationship one-to-one, -one, but he could get up and, and be very inspiring and exciting up the front. And he said, well, it was plankton and productivity was the class, major part of marine biology. 
He said, I've, uh, we're, we're having field trips on the boat. The trips are going to be on Saturday, Sunday, and I think it was Tuesday. I've signed everybody up to the respective trip. This is just after I made my decision. Uh, I don't accept any changes, he said, unless you're working and your life depends on it, but you just need to go on the date you signed up. I thought, well, okay, I got two out of three chance. <laughs> that be a Sunday or a Tuesday. Maybe it was a Monday. And uh, I go to the board to look at the postings and looking at the names, and uh, where do you think I was signed up for? How did you know that? It was true. That's right. There I was, Saturday, trip. And what am I going to do? The worst possible guy in the university just signed me up for a trip on Saturday. Like, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the sort of guy when I make a decision, it, you know, I stick with it, I guess. I'm thinking back. I was young, inexperienced. I thought, well, I'm going to have to go talk to him. But I wasn't in a particular position of strength because I compromised up to now. And so now I'm going to go in and say, well, I don't do that. But what about biology and marine plants? And what about uh, you know, your zoology field trip? And what about you know, your uh, rainforest ecology class? You know, I did all that. What, what's the difference? Anyway, did, that didn't come up, fortunately. God is good. <laughs> I go into his office, and I can, I can remember it like yesterday. I go into his office, he's sitting there. You know, he doesn't really talk to people. He's kind of a, when you go to university, there's a lot of quirky people at university, and there just is. Every department seems to have it. This guy, he was, he, was a, he was a good scientist, he just was not personable. He's sitting there in his office, messy, junky office. There he's sitting at his desk. And I go in, <laughs> just a young guy, saying, uh, uh, I know you said, you know, that uh, you have to go on the, the time you set, uh, I don't know what I said. I go to church on, on Saturdays. I'm down on the Saturday trip. You know, I can't really go. Is there anything you can do? I don't remember what I said. What I do remember is him sitting there thinking, you know, I feel really stupid doing this. But anyway, I have to do it. And, and, and he sits there at his desk. And he looks down. He doesn't even look at me. He's looking down. And he kind of shook his head. And I'm like kind of waiting for something from this guy. <laughs> and what he said was, well, I'm not very religious. He was, he, was, he was apologizing to me for not being religious. I'm not very religious. And he, ha he had the, the schedule like sitting on his desk. He said, well, there's a spot on Sunday, I think it was. Would you like to go there? I said, yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. That'll be great. <laughs> and I walked out of there thinking, wow, you know, he apologizes to me for not being religious. And I feel I'm just the idiot going in there saying, because I'm part of this, as a young person, thinking, how are they going to understand who I am, what it means? You know, how do you explain that to someone? Well, it, that was the beginning of it for me. I thought, wow, you know, your God is blessing. It was a great victory. I was, I was pumped up. I did that. You know, I found this guy really challenging. He was a good scientist. He was a single guy, and you couldn't really relate to him. But, but somehow I was drawn to this guy, and I worked for him after. I did my honors with him as a supervisor. I, I don't know why. I was just, uh, I liked punishment or something. Uh, somehow this guy was challenging. And I worked for him in the summer when we were going on on periodic boat trips, out doing plankton sampling on one of his uh, sampling trips. He was actually looking for the larvae of box jellyfish, which kills people in Australia, and he was involved in that. And you know, from, from then on, he knew I didn't do things on Saturdays. When a boat trip came up, he said, oh, I know you don't go then. You know, we'll organize somebody else. I didn't have to do anything. 
Like it gets easier after that. It's easy. Serving God is easier than trying to compromise. It actually makes life much easier. Okay, well, what happened? So that happened. That was an iconic time when something happened. Then uh, I, I guess God gives you a greater purpose in your life. We know the story of Daniel. God honors you when you honor him. And, you know, before that time, my grades were kind of mediocre. They were. I mean, they were all right. They were okay. I mean, geology, I bombed out because I didn't go on the trip. But, and generally, I, they were kind of tough, and I wasn't doing so well. After that, I started getting like 100% on assignments, like essays. Like 100%? This is the British system in Australia. You don't get 100% on essays. They always find something, don't they, Cosman, right? You can always find something when people write something that you don't agree with. Twice that happened from two different lectures. One was him, the tough guy. 100%. Things start coming together by the, and this is all to God's glory, absolutely all to God's glory. By the end of my third year, I topped the class in marine biology. Now, I mean, that's miraculous. I topped the class in marine biology. I mean, there were kids in there that were just computer-minded sort of geniuses. God brings it together. The end of my, that was the third year. I then have to go into an honors degree. The honors degree in Australia is tough. It's like nine months. You do a research subject. Uh, you, you write a small thesis, and it all has to come together. You've got to get a first-class honors to really get scholarships and to get in a PhD program. In Australia, they were paying you for doing a PhD. You got a scholarship, they pay you for doing a PhD. Education is very different than it is here, especially in those days. I go into my honors year. You know, I'm on a wave now. Um, and and Everything comes together for my honors degree, which paved the way for my career in squid biology. I can talk a bit about that later. And, and everything comes together, you know? I, I, I'm out discovering, I'm stomping around in the mangrove swamps, I'm finding these species that were great biological models, and, and things weren't coming together, but I pursued it for six weeks to, I'll talk about my statolith rings and aging, the work I was doing. And, and it begins to come together in my honors year. And praise God, and again, all the glory goes to God. I taught biological sciences in honors, like the whole school of biological science. I'm thinking, like, God, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I just wanted to follow you. God, I mean, he turned it around completely. Stand up for God and the blessing, like, I didn't deserve any of that. The blessings just flowed, you know. I was applying for, and then it comes, and then we're in the PhD, and then I'm doing my PhD. And it was getting later in my PhD, stayed at the same school. And I had my transcripts sitting on the desk. And one of my friends, and we had a group of us there. And they, and they were going to go check out my transcript, my grades, because I had to send it off for a job application or something. Len McKenzie, I can remember his name. He said, George, like, what's with your transcript? You know, they were snooping on my desk and reading my private stuff. But I mean, there was just, you just, you know, you're just students. You didn't have any privacy. And, and he said, what's this? I mean, you look at your grades in, in first and kind of second year, and I look at your grades at third year, and it looks like a, you're a different person. It doesn't look like the same person. Like, what's going on with your transcript? And I got to tell him the story. Well, this is what happened, you know? I made a decision, I decided to follow God, and what? You know, he was just thought I was crazy. I mean, you're not even accepting the, the credit yourself? I mean, he, just, he was on a different planet. I mean, I don't think I reached him. Uh, he just didn't know where I was coming from. He's, Oh, is that scratching? Let's just take it off. Thanks. Let's go back to Daniel. Let's go back to Daniel. 
Verse 7, Daniel 1, what happened? So, so, so we know Daniel said he had purposed in his heart. You know, he goes to Aspenaz. He says, look, can, we can't eat this stuff. You know, I can't do that. I'll get my head chopped off if I give you guys special privilege. Okay, that didn't work. He goes to Melzar, the next one, right? He says, look, just give us a test. Well, you know, and, and, and I always imagine Daniel, I know he, wa- he would have been a great man, if not only integrity, but he would have been, he would have been uh, very diplomatic, very polite, very respectful when he approached people. I, just, I can just imagine he sort of had that about him. He said, look, we, can't, we don't eat this stuff. Now, there were a lot of other Israelite boys in his group, a lot probably. We only have a record of four of them not going along with the crowd. He said, you know, we can't eat this. The guy said, well, you know, the king's, you're going to defy what the king says. You guys are slaves. You know, I can imagine the whole situation. He said, well, why don't you just test us? And I, I imagine it was probably an inspiration for God, from God saying, just give us 10 days. Give us vegetables and water and just check us out after 10 days. Now, I can imagine anybody would think, well, that's pretty reasonable. Why? Okay. He said, well, I'll get in when they're all sickly and I'll get them back on the diet and everything's solved. Well, of course, God... He takes that one step and just God just pours out his blessing. Ten days and they're just, everybody else, you know, the fatty diet, the wine, all the junk they're eating, and, you know, and they're just wiped out. And these guys are like pillars of strength and health. And I go, okay, you guys just do what you need to do. And God gives them the victory in an impossible situation and they go forward. And what I love is verse 17 is, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, okay, now they face the MCAT, right? They finish their studies and they got to take the final exam. And the examiner himself is the king of Babylon. You know, the, the, the chancellor of the University of the Chaldees is there. I mean, I can imagine that would be really scary, right? You're there and he's got, and it's an oral exam, you know, bang, bang, bang. They're asking you questions, you got to stand there. And there they are. Verse 18, that the king said they should bring them in. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Scary guy. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none, none, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all manners of wisdom, and understanding that the king, everything the king asked them, he found them top of the class. They, uh, they had the top marks. They had to set the curve according to them. Now, it wasn't even that. They were an order of magnitude better than everybody else. Imagine that. Everybody else got 10 on their exam, and they get 100. Ten times better, an order of magnitude, right out of the, right off the scale. These guys are like, there's nobody even comes close to them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, like Hebrew slaves eating vegetables and water, in the middle of a, a pagan, idolatrous country, leaning on God because they had nobody else in their life, and God gives them a wisdom that is ten times better than anything else. And then Daniel continues to the, to the first year of King Cyrus. He makes it through three, three kings. He outlives three kings.
You know, God, as young people doing their education, as young scientists or young professionals going into careers, which I know a lot of this GYC movement is made of, God is waiting to do things beyond our wildest expectations. God just wants to be glorified and through our careers and whatever course we, he leads us in, God wants us to shine and so the world goes, wow, what do they have that I don't have? At the very time when our institutions of learning, this is getting recorded on, isn't it? So I'll be careful what I say. But at the very time when our institutions are toying with idolatry and following the ways of the world, no, I mean, I, it, people within our institutions are getting enamored by the ways of the world is the very time when God is wanting us to shine and to stand and to show the way. And instead we're stumbling over. He wants to pour out his blessings, but we're content with so little. You know, we're just content with walking and God wants us to fly. We've got to, we've got to We've got to step out for God so we can do the great things. And it's Isaiah 40, 31. Turn to that. Turn to that with me. Isaiah. No, I've got it written here. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Was the sacrifice too much? When I was going through my career, did I give up too much? Was the cost too great to follow God rather than to go along with what was required in my university curriculum? Was it? No. I haven't, no I've got no written three times in my, in my notes. No, no, no. What, how, could it, how could any of that compare with what God wants to do in our lives? How can any of it be worth what God holds out for us in the future? Let's move ahead now. Let me go on a little bit more with my career. So that was my education. I then moved into working as a scientist. I did my PhD. Talk about having fun, you know? Trips on the Great Barrier Reef. I mean, just amazing stuff. I had, I had in, in Australia, they have postdoctoral positions. They have them here, too. Young researchers can get a postdoctoral position uh, where they do research and develop their, uh, their um, publications, start getting grants, and start building their, building their, uh, their career. Australia is quite interesting. They actually have a tiers of these postdocs. They have a, a three-year one, and then they have a second-tiered one, and then you can go on and get senior ones way down your career. I got three of these postdoctoral positions. I got two of them offered to me. I got one offered in New Zealand, and I got one in Western University of Western Australia. I actually delayed the Australian government one, went to New Zealand for 10 months, worked on these wonderful deep water squids in southern New Zealand, living on this amazing place out of Dunedin, cold, sort of windswept sort of place. I went to Western Australia, then I went back to James Cook University uh, doing postdocs. I had like nine years of postdoc, and like 
talk about fun, like doing whatever I want, you know, doing research. I had research money. I had research projects in Thailand, twice to the Falkland Islands. I had conferences in England, in Japan, uh, the USA, New Zealand, various places of Australia. You know, it was, I mean, it was, it was fun. I mean, I, I loved doing marine biology and traveling and doing all these things. It, it was quite a career. Uh, and God kept opening doors. I ended up with a job at the University of Tasmania. In fact, I moved my fellowship to the university. I applied for the job. I said, well, look, guys, I have this fellowship that uh, I can move with me. You know, I'd like to take this job, but would it be okay if I brought my own salary with me, you know? And anyway, of course it was okay. So, you know, I was able to, and then they gave me a research assistant. And God continued, you know, God always opened doors. And I always kind of wondered, because people used to laugh at me, you study squid, and that was my field of research. You know, well, you know, God, I'm laughing all the way to the bank, you know, I fly around the world. And, um, and I'll talk more about some of my research in the next meeting. For 10 years, I spent at the University of Tasmania. I mean, like, the best part of Australia. Like, the, it's just, it's the island off the south coast, wilderness areas, uh, cheap houses. We had a house that overlooked the ocean in Bruni Island, all to ourselves on 25 acres. It was like, it was wonderful. Uh, and then the time came, I'd never taken a sabbatical. And I ended up in Vancouver Island, because I had some connections with my uh, senior scientists of the census of marine life. And um, I, I was able to, to end up in Vancouver Island, in British Columbia. You know, I, I like nice, exotic islands. I mean, it's, they're just neat places to live. And my poor family has been drugged all over the place. My daughter tried to do her school, schooling in three countries, but she, she made it through okay. And, um, you know, God just kept opening doors. And while I was there, the, the whole program, the POST, the Pacific Ocean Shelf Tracking Program, which I was involved in, with, was kind of crumbling and had poor leadership. And I got actually reinstated as the senior scientist on that program. I thought, like, this is fun. Not only did I have my position in Australia, I just took over a program which was the whole west coast of North America with listening lines and acoustic. So I moved from squid biology to acoustic tracking of salmon. And I actually realized that you just got to sound like you know what you're talking about and people believe you because I didn't know anything about salmon. But I knew about science and I was overseeing this program and uh, it was a lot of fun. <clears throat> so there God puts me in this position as a senior scientist. Uh, by the way, when I first took up the, the job in Tasmania, let me, tell you, let me just tell you, there's, there's three things that in the Australian system, and it's probably, I've been told it's the same here, as a re, in a research university, there's three things that are exceedingly important for a successful career. One of those is publications. You've got to publish research in internationally recognized journals. Number two is research funding. You've got to be able to bring in research funding, to set up research programs, because that actually brings money into the university and you're seen as a valuable asset to that university. And that's probably as much as anything is research funding. Publications and research funding are, are way up the list. And number three is, is supervising graduate students. My position was in a, a, an Antarctic Institute at the University of Tasmania where I supervised grad students. That's what I did. Uh, and they had a variety of Antarctic projects on mammals or birds or squid or whatever. And those are the three things that universities look at for your career. 
And, you know, God kept opening doors. When I, when I, when I started my job at Tasmania, I had three grant proposals, two with the Australian Research Council and one with another fisheries organization, and all three of them came. I had $600,000 to play with as a grant. I mean, it just, you know, the doors just flung open. And, and you just got to follow God, stand up for him, he'll honor you, whatever you do. And time just kept going on and on. I was successful with my grant writing. And then I end up in Canada uh, with this multi-million dollar project. Great, lot of fun. Uh, flying on little float planes from Vancouver Island to Vancouver, and, and it was just a lot of fun. Traveling to New Zealand, all over the US, to meetings, you know, trying to build up this big program. But you have to make the right decisions. I just, I just have my notes here. I remember some of the things that happened to me. I had students that came to me, you know, that wanted me to supervise them. And this one guy came out of, he came and visited, and he was, he knew what I did. I guess it was squid biology, and he wanted to do something in that. And he got to talking, and he was really excited about <clears throat> evolutionary biology and pursuing these, you know, and I'm listening to this kid. <laughs> and, you know, I thought, he doesn't know who I am. And I said, well, you know, uh, I'm a pretty conservative Christian, you know, I don't believe in evolution, and, you know, man, I never saw that kid ever again, never caught sight of him, he was gone, I just never saw him. So, you know, sometimes there's things you can't pursue when you're a Christian, uh, and uh, you just don't do it, you can't do it. You know, it, then I started mixing at very high-level scientific circles in all these big meetings that I was at Hawaii and New Zealand and all these big meetings, and, and, and that's when I started thinking, you know, what am I doing here? Because basically they drink themselves silly at these meetings. They all drink. I mean, if you don't drink, you're like, you really stand out. Rare, it's a rarity to be inside, and, and, and they just drink. One of my closest co colleagues is a very heavy drinker. Uh, he can't help it. But there in my career, everybody knew. So by now, I, I was used and I, I, you know, I could always organize my, it was very important to me not to fly on Sabbaths. That was all, from then on, that was a very high priority in my life. I saw God's blessing in my life, uh, and I worked around that. And God, it, you know, I got stuck in the Falkland Islands once. I got stuck in the Falkland Islands once. And there's like three flights a week. And by, at that time, I was living in Texas, had to get back. I'm lining up in the line, and the guy says, you're not on the list. I said, what do you mean? I'm not on the list. I've got to get back to my family. It's Christmas time. No, I'll come back. It was like Wednesday. Will you come back and get a flight on Saturday? I thought, I've got to get home. Anyway, that was a fall. And, and there were, through a whole chain of events, you know, you're not going to get on the This is a military flight. I was in a military flight. So, and you say, well, what do you do if you're in a military, you know, what do you do? We, I mean, I don't know. I must have watched movies as a kid or something. I say, well, can I speak to your commanding officer? I thought, that's what you do in the military. I grew up on military bases, my dad. Can I speak? Well, yeah. So the guy says we used to commanding officer, and it's like taking you from one of the evil angels to speak directly to Lucifer or something. You know, I mean, like, well, that was a dumb decision. Like, he didn't care who I was or what I wanted or, you know, what my needs were. Anyway. Uh, God got me on the plane. I don't know what happened in, anyway, and I got back home, and you know, so even at adventurous frontier areas, God looks after you, and, he, and you can see these little leadings in God's life. Everybody I collaborate with, they just know. I, I've mixed with enough people, and they know I don't eat meat. This is what they know who I am. Now, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but this is what they know. They know I don't eat meat, and I certainly don't drink alcohol. And it's a brunt of jokes all the time, you know. Well, we'll drink, we'll, we'll have the spoiled grapes and we'll give George something else, you know. 
They always know I go to church on Saturdays and I don't do things on Saturdays. They just know. I've been on field trips with scientists and I head off. And interestingly, I'd go off to a church way off in uh, South Australia. We were doing a, a research group on cuttlefish. There was this hot spot where cuttlefish came. And I had two of my colleagues, Canadian and U.S. colleagues, were there. I took off to church. And then I was out walking because I wanted to be away from the guys, do, let them do their thing. And one of them found me. I thought, great, you know, I just want to be alone, you know, <laughs> walking along the water. I don't want to talk about anything. And the thing is, he came, they start talking religion to you, you know. They're talking about religion and their belief in God and all that. And, you know, because I knew where I stood. So the other thing they know is that I don't believe, endorse, or collaborate on research that involves evolution. I mean, they just know that's who I am. So, you know, there's probably people that think I'm a weirdo, and that's okay. But uh, I found in my career that you stand up, you make it clear what you do, and people respect you for it. In fact, what I've always liked to do is let people learn who you are. They learn in terms of the scientific realm that I mix in. They learn what you do. They respect you for what you do. Then it gives credibility to what you believe. I mean, that's how it seems to pans out. They know who you are. And, and I've been in Japan. I've been in every area. And I've had wonderful experiences finding God's people in various parts of the world. I felt like I was heav in heaven in Japan, the, Jap the Tokyo Central Church, because you know they had a conference going on, and they were doing this thing. So I went and found a church. And there I was singing in this huge church in Tokyo. I was singing in English, and there were people singing in Japanese. We had different hymn books. And I almost felt like crying, thinking, this is what heaven is going to be like, you know? All, it was a very international church. There I was in Tokyo. And, uh, you know, had I been compromising, then I would have been fooling around trying to do science conference stuff. I just wasn't interested. Then it came to a hard question, and we're wrapping it, getting close towards the end of the story. Because I'm no longer working as a marine biologist. I'm still a marine biologist. But I'm here at Weimar. And that would take a whole nother hour to tell you the story of how I got here. I wrote out the notes, and it's truly an amazing story. As I said, I got to the point where I began to question, what am I doing here anyway? And um, we'd come to North America and decided we needed to be in North America for our kids, because Australia didn't have, there's no, well, there is AYC in Australia now, but there wasn't at that time. There was a young disciple camp, there's GYC, all these opportunities that I wanted for my family that didn't exist in my country. And so we thought maybe this census of marine life, this will be a new career in North America. As much as we love Australia, we thought spiritual needs, we needed to be in North America. And I had US citizenship. My kids had US citizenship. Little did I realize that being married to an Australian was like trying to smuggle in a terrorist subject suspect to migrate to the US. I mean, I didn't realize that, but uh, I would have thought Australians would have been treated a little better. But man, uh, anyway, I'm just glad the kids had US citizenship. It would have been an impossible task to get to the US. But we did it, and God, amazing string of miracles works out. So we come. I had to make a decision that I wanted to be where God wanted me to be. And I figured that's where I was going to be the happiest. And the whole Weimar thing happened. Yeah, that's a long story. When it, it voted that it was going to close. Uh, and so I was, because we had sort of investigated Weimar, we knew a little about it. Then I got into websites. And there were blogs on websites. And they were saying things like, well, 
you know, if Weimar was sort of teaching amazing facts, theology, you know, maybe it's better that it closed. It was like, I guess, Adventist websites. I'm thinking, they can't say that. Who do they think they are? These guys don't know. Who are they? They're talking about God's school. You can't do that. You can't say that. And then I thought, maybe there's something I can do. You know, that seed was planted in my mind. You know, who do these guys think they are? And anyway, it's a long story. If you want to hear the story, come talk to me sometime. Uh, and then Amazing Facts joins, and the institution is raised up again. A modern-day school of the prophets, you know, where, where they're going to follow what God wants to do. And I saw, I mean, to make a long story short, I sent an email to Doug Batchelor. I'm thinking, probably a thousand idiots a day send emails to Doug Batchelor. But anyway, through a long chain of events, I made contact saying, well, you know, I do this. I'm kind of interested in what you're going on. And, and the doors were flung open. But I can't help. So I switched. I, I, I made a, what kind of a 180 degree change from, I walked away from a $45 million project. But that, that one of my colleagues I was telling you about, he was very important in my career. Because in science, it's kind of who you know and who you collaborate with makes all the difference. I was one of the scientists on a Canada Foundation for Innovation grant for, for, for using this acoustic technology all around the world, a global project. And um, it got awarded $45 million, except it took about three years to work through the politics to actually get the money. And so it was a real delay. Had that grant been awarded quickly, I probably would be flying around the world on this big project doing international stuff. But I'm, I'm beginning to think maybe it was me that caused the delay in the money. Maybe that was what the problem was. God had other plans. But you know, the options are there. But then God puts something in your heart that maybe you need to be doing something different. And you know, it's some of these things that the Spirit of Prophecy tells us what our schools should be. And this is kind of changing tack a little bit, but this is kind of my story and what my convictions were. We're told in Fifth Testimonies 14 that the Lord never designed that our colleges should imitate other institutions of learning. She actually says later on that quote, when teachers or professors shall sacrifice religious principle to please worldly amusement-loving classes, amusement-loving class, they should be considered unfaithful to their trust and should be discharged. You know, hopefully we'll see some of that in coming months. She goes on in 5 Testimonies 21 to say, there's danger that our college will be turned away from its original design. She's talking about Battle Creek. God's purposes have been made known that our people should have an opportunity to study the sciences and at the same time to learn the requirements of his word. If you want to study sciences, if you're looking at a spiritual school to go to, find somewhere where you can study the sciences and study his word. Biblical lectures should be given. The study of scriptures should have the first place in our system of education. And we're struggling with that at Weimar. I said, how do we do that? We're working on it. How do we do that? Okay. And then we're told that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. Amazing Facts is going to be out of a job. Emmanuel Beck is not going to have a job one day because all that work is going to be shut down and the only way we're going to be able to reach souls is through doing the natural remedies and healing them. And people will come to this and they're not going to shut us down here because there's going to be so many people that have been healed that they'll say, just leave them alone. You know, they're doing a good work. This is the very end of time. She goes on to say in uh, that was uh, uh, Council and Health 533, 
and Councils on Health 503-504. She says, I'm deeply interested in the subject of medical missionary work and the education of men and women for, that, women for that work. I wish that there could be 100 nurses in training where there is one. She said, I wish there was 100 nurses where there's one. So we're developing a nursing program here at Weimar College. We're doing sort of medical missionary, nursing, and pre-med. And the big one here, again, in Councils on Health 503, is one that changed Neil Nedley uh, for him to take the path that he took as a physician. He says, I've been surprised at being asked by physicians if I did not think it would be more pleasing to God for them to give up their medical practice and enter the ministry. I'm prepared to answer such an inquiry. If you are a Christian and competent physician, you are qualified to do tenfold more good as a missionary for God than if you were to go forth merely as a preacher of the word. You don't have to give, you don't have, as one of my students said, if you see the uh, Timothy Pruitt on our t promotional video, I used to think I'd have to choose to be a preacher or a doctor. Now I don't have to, I, I realize I can do both now. That's what God wants us to do. So that was the vision that I thought, okay, maybe my life needs to go this way. Maybe this humble place with these rundown buildings and, you know, maybe this is a place I need to be. As I say to my students, there's an awful lot of stainless steel and brick buildings dedicated to atheism and evolution. Uh, so, you know, as humble as it is, if God is this is where God is, this is where we need to be. But I'd like to leave you with this quote, and I love this quote. And it's written for youth, and you look pretty youthful. And, it's, and you may have heard it, it's Messages to Young People, page 36. And it says, Dear Youth, what is the aim and purpose of your life? And that was how, what I had to ask those questions. What is the purpose? Why, why am I here? You know, what am I really doing? Are you ambitious for education that you may have a name and position in the world? Have you thoughts that you dare not express, that you may one day stand upon the summit of intellectual greatness? Saying, you know, do you dare not want to think that one day you want to be this, a great intellect? How about that you may sit, and this is a quote, in deliberative and legislative councils and help to enact laws for the nation. She's saying, are you thinking about you'd like to, you know, intellectual greatness or maybe be a politician and enact laws? What do you think? She, you might be surprised. She says there is nothing wrong with these aspirations. There's nothing wrong. You may, every one of you, make your mark. You should be content with no mean attainments. Aim high, spare no pains to reach the standard. Isn't that amazing? Wait a minute, there's a, there's a paragraph just after that. She then goes on to say, the fear of the Lord lies at the foundation of all true greatness. Integrity, unswerving integrity is the principle that you need to carry with, with you into all the relations of life. Take your religion into your school life, into your boarding house, into all your pursuits. The important question with you now is how, so how to so choose and perfect your studies that you will maintain the solidity and purity of an untarnished Christian character, holding all temporal claims and interests in subjection to the higher claims of the gospel of Christ. So the point is, do those great things. Be a great lawyer, or be a great scientist, or be a great educator, as long as you always maintain Christian integrity and you put God first. That's all she's saying. And I can attest with my journey through my education, through my career as a scientist, uh, and now at this humble institution, that if you just follow what God says, he, he will greatly bless. So let's just, let's just stand for a word of prayer.
Father in heaven, it is indeed a privilege to be here to, to work for you. And I think of my career, that I, I wouldn't be doing this if I was uh, working as a scientist. I'd probably be lecturing about marine biology somewhere at a conference and trying to avoid people drinking and trying to, to do those sorts of things. But you brought me here, and each one in this room, you have a plan for each life here represented in this room. Some people are young, looking ahead to school. Other people may be in school or in university, and others may be in careers. Help us each one to realize that whatever walk, whatever path we take, may we be 100% wholly committed to you, for we know that is where true happiness lies. Father, there's probably young people here in this room that are struggling in situations where perhaps religious things are made a mockery, or they're laughed at, or they're just considered irrelevant. They may be in places where people are following the idolatry of the world rather than following your truths. Help each one of us to have that purpose in our heart like Daniel did, to be unwavering, to stand for truth, though the heavens fall. Bless each person here. May your spirit be on this meeting over these next few days. May we be lifted up to heavenly things. Thank you for every person that was brought to this meeting. Bless us and keep us. Help us be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.